Warning, the following program is very silly. Welcome along, folks, to the Michael Muto Show here on Western Mac 102 FM, your local community radio station. I bring you right through to 11 o'clock this morning. Hope you're all having a fantastic Tuesday morning. Hope it'll get Monday, hope it'll get weekend, hope it'll get week since I spoke to you last. Folks, top of the next hour, I'll be listening back to my interview with the one and only Jesse Thorne. Jesse, of course, is the host of Bullseye. He's also the co-host of Jordan Jesse Go and the co-host of Judge John Hodgman. So I had a fantastic time talking to him. Jesse, as I say in the interview, Jesse was a big inspiration to me. So it was such a thrill to be able to sit down and talk to him. Now, folks, I want to let you know what's going on here. So you've got this show this week. Then there's another show next week. And then we are at the final episode. That'll be on the 11th of July. I hope you've that marked in your calendars. And what's going to happen is, so this week, I wanted to listen back to the Jesse Thorne interview. Because Jesse, as I've said around there, was a big inspiration to me in radio. And I wanted that to be the last interview I, I re-listened in this kind of series I've been doing lately, where I've been re-listening to older interviews. And then next week, what I want to do is have more of a chassis kind of uh, an episode, you know, where I'm just talking about stuff. And then the week after then is the big bumper bonus, big jumbo uh, <laughs> episode, the last episode. We've got three guests on. And if you didn't hear, it's uh, Case Explosion, Lisa Daly, Chairperson of the Lyric Pride Parade, and Tony and Martin of the Echo Chamber Podcast. So a big, big bumper episode for you there on the 11th of July. But uh, yeah, so it's uh, coming in close now. It still feels like a good far bit away though. I don't know. It doesn't feel like it's right on top of me. But it is fairly soon that the show will be ending. It's very, very unusual. But anyway. Welcome back folks. This is Michael Mitchell here on Western Maker 102 FM. Right now, we're going to listen back to my interview with Jesse Thorne from, I think, around November 2021. So here we go. Welcome, folks. This is the Michael Muto Show here on Whistler Make 102 FM. And I cannot believe on the line right now we have Jesse Thorne, who, yes, that Jesse Thorne from Bullseye on NPR and head of the Maximum Fun Network and everything. <laughs> and just and put this on and all kinds of stuff. Um, Jesse, welcome. Thank you. You may be overestimating the value of my name in Limerick. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, I was excitedly telling everyone, I was like, oh, Jesse Thorne is going to be on, can you believe it? And co-host of the Judge John Hodgman show, and we'll get into all of it. Yeah. But, um, and I won't take you too long, because I know you're very busy, so, um, you know. But, um, yeah, so you started doing your show, which then became Bullseye, which is a fantastic show, can I just say. Your your interview skills are just, everyone always gushes about that, anyway. But, um. You started your show, Sound of Young America. Yes, I wrote that down because I was I kept wanting to say the voice and I was like, don't say voice, stupid, say sound. Sound of Young America in 1999. And then this is the bit that caught me off guard. You started the podcast of your show in 2004, which is yeah. so early. I, I didn't even have podcast that existed for six months or something. Yeah. It's crazy, crazy. And that, of course, spun off into... Um, 
Jordan Jesse Go and Bullseye and everything. And because it was a podcast, you started the Maximum Fun Network. But um, but I want to go back is the start though is um, what brought you into doing the radio show in the first place in your college? Well, I went to the University of California at Santa Cruz, which yeah. is this you know it's a it's a public university and santa cruz is a coastal town that's south of san francisco about an hour Mm -hmm. and a half and the campus is this big kind of mountain forest um and it's a beautiful place it's always wet it's a little bit like return of the jedi if you think of where the ewoks live in return of the jedi that's basically the uc santa cruz campus and um, I was there, and I knew that I didn't want to act. I had gone to a th- an arts high school and had acted, mm-hmm. you know, three or four hours a day for my entire high school career. I knew I was not that talented. And, um, but I knew that I loved performing. So yeah. there, this was the days before you could buy a digital video camera that was worth its salt for a, a small enough amount of money that a you know a a broke teen could afford it yeah. and um there was no television station on mm-hmm. campus if you were a film major you got a camera your senior year for one semester yeah and so really i turned on the college radio station one day and we were lucky to have a pretty powerful college radio station and I listened to it and I thought well gosh I bet I could do that and I went down to the station and they gave me a little tour and the thing that I remember most vividly is I had imagined this big complicated production going on yeah when in reality I was like oh so up is louder and down is quieter (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) and so I I pretty much uh, recruited the two funniest people I knew in college, and we went there with the plan to make a very ambitious show, which quickly collapsed. And um, eventually, we we pretty much landed on doing about half an hour of bits and a half hour live interview on the show. And you know, by the time we were getting the especially the comedy people that we most admired, you know, the Upright Citizens Brigade and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like, oh, we're we're actually doing something. And, you know, I was lucky that my, you know, my buddies from college were, they really wanted to do something, really wanted to work hard and make something that was worth making. Um, yeah. You know, that, you know, Jordan, Jesse Go, my co-host Jordan, yep. he was... You know, I was 19, he was 18. I was his resident advisor. I was the boss of his residential hall. Yeah. And, uh, you know, our friend Gene, who co-hosted with us, he he's a producer on Big Brother now. And, um, you know, we just, we we were ambitious for slackers. This was going to say, I mean, like, to have that kind of, um, to do an arts program, basically, I mean, you know, it's an interview show, really, but... To be doing that kind of a thing at 19, I don't know if I would have done it at 19. I would have been just like <laughs> goof-offs and it, the humor wouldn't have been good. It would have just been like fart jokes and stuff. It wouldn't have been joining. I mean, good. I'm not sure that the humor was good. <laughs> I remember we had a running bit, a running bit that was us talking to a record of whale sounds. Um, I wish I could say I've never done something similar. That that we, we did that once, then thought we should do it more times. See, now that's too far for me now. <laughs> but um, 
And, you know, like, I think we ended up doing, I think we ended up doing an interview show because we realized that writing an hour of material the night before we had to get up at six o'clock in the morning and wander across the campus because the buses weren't running yet to do a morning radio show Mm -hmm. was, uh, too ambitious <laughs> yeah. by half. So we yeah. realized like if we just called Dick Dale, the king of the surf guitar at his trailer in the desert, yeah. we could fill half a show just with that. Um, but you know, we also, I can't speak to why Jordan and Gene were doing, were working mm-hmm. so hard on the show. For me, it was about the fact that I had put myself in a position where, I mean, I got like, you know, I've got like drama of the gifted child perfectionism issues where I, I have a hard time starting anything because I'm worried that it's not going to be exactly right. Mm-hmm. When you have to go on the radio every week, like the choices are you, you, you do it or you, there's, you're breaking the law by not being present for yeah. emergency alerts. So exactly, yeah. it was, you know, it was a way to force ourselves to to do something every week for mm-hmm. you know almost the entirety of our college careers and then beyond yeah. and and we um you know i i mean i know i was motivated primarily by the fear of embarrassing myself so you know you work hard so you don't look like a dope yeah. um and i'm sure we did look like a dope don't get me wrong <laughs> but yeah. less less than we would have had we been yeah lazing around. I mean, I remember listening to people's college radio shows and our station had some, you know, some, some people who were unpaid volunteers, but had been doing their shows for many years and, and were really important parts of the community, you know? And then sometimes it was just like uh, a 20 year old playing throbbing gristle songs because they thought it was funny, you know? (laughs) And uh, we thought like, I think we thought, Maybe we could do something that would be distinctive, but also something that people might want to actually listen to. <laughs> yeah. So you were mature even as, like, 19. Like, that's pretty, like... Because I would have done that, I think, at 19. I would have played, like, Trobbing Grizzle. I would have said, this will annoy people, you know? And that yeah. would have been just it. It would have been just, like, a weird, like, art thing to me. It wouldn't have been, like, a, a proper program, you know? I wouldn't have had the force that I got. But you're 20 you know? now. It's different. Um, but, no, well, then... Uh, you put it out as a podcast, and yeah. in 2004, when there was no podcasts, and that got then picked up by, Come was on. it, it was Michael, NPR. there were podcasts, there were well, over there was, six there was. podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> I'd never heard of a podcast, I was thinking back to 2004, and I was asking some people, and I was like, did you know about podcasts 2004? They were like, no. I mean, I was it like, was, yeah, no, me neither. It was a time when you had to manually put podcasts onto your iPod. It was before... <laughs> hmm iTunes had podcasting support. Yeah. But um so maximumfun.org when did that start exactly? When was the starting date in that? I mean, I <laughs> I had registered a domain called splangy.com which was just a nonsense word that was in an Upright Citizens Brigade sketch and I talked to Matt yeah. Besser of the Upright Citizens Brigade once years ago and he said he tried to name his production company Splangy uh, because it was a word he had said in an Upright Citizens Brigade sketch, and he was very vexed that someone had already registered that <laughs> domain. But um, <laughs> I figured it needed a little bit of a better name. I don't, I don't know if Maximum Fun is a good name. It was a little embarrassing. But, um, yeah, I mean, basically it was it was 
the original idea was I'm going to run this very roughly like a public radio station, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, here in the States are, are primarily supported by membership. And yeah. um, I thought I, got, I should do more than just this one show if I'm going to ask people for money. And mm-hmm. then by the time I had kind of built some infrastructure, you know, figured out how to ask for money and, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing, how to host shows, et cetera, et cetera. I thought, well, I built this thing, and there was a show called Stop Podcasting Yourself. Yeah, that fantastic show. People had been talking about in the forum for our shows, the mm-hmm. message board. <laughs> and um, and I thought, I'll listen to this show. And I listened to it. I thought it was really good. And I just sent them an email and was like, hey, I liked your show. Do you want to, like, team up? <laughs> and they said, yes, that show's still going. Um, and it's an amazing it's show. Very, very good. Still one Brilliant. of my favorite Max Fun shows. You get a sense of community in Max and Fun, and everyone seems genuinely proud to be part of the network as well. You yeah. really do get a sense of, yeah, I'm really happy to be part of this. They always like shout out other shows. You get a sense of, you definitely, and I found so many podcasts because I would have discovered your network through um, the Judge John Hodgman podcast, mm-hmm. which, uh, yes, it is Jack John Hodgman as well, folks. And, um, it's, I would have discovered it through that and then I would have discovered yourself as you're the bailiff uh, on that show mm-hmm. and uh, that is a great show but it's one of my favorite that got me through the pandemic I gotta say that was a brilliant show that and Bullseye really did help me out kind of got me through the big pandemic too I, I had a very, very tough time and you know John John came on my show yeah. on the Sound of Young America when I was doing it in my apartment right after I sold my car and bought that telephone hybrid <laughs> And yeah. he coincidentally came on my show about five days before he got famous. <laughs> and his generosity towards me and his kindness towards me just never ceased in the many years since. And I just, you know, we came to be very close friends, but I, I've mm-hmm. never lost my immense admiration for him. And I'm, it's funny, like that show used to be a side thing that he did when he wasn't busy being famous basically yeah and it's continued to grow over the many years we've done it very steadily like a lot mm-hmm. of stuff we we do at max fun it grows yep. steadily not exponentially and at this point you know i just had a i just talked to him the other day we had kind of a business meeting and mm-hmm. we were both marveling we're like wow this show that used to just be the thing we did to fill time <laughs> You know, mm-hmm. it was like he was trying to sell some extra books and I just thought it would be yeah. fun. Mm-hmm. Um, like this, for both of us, like this is the main thing that pays our mortgage. <laughs> you know, we're like, wow, we actually made yeah. this into a actually successful thing. Um, yeah. You know, and Hodgman, I think, always figured if he became actually successful, it would be as a television writer performer and he certainly mm-hmm. has continued to be successful yep. as a television writer performer but i don't think mm-hmm. he ever expected that the center of his diagram of you know work and success and earnings would be the podcast yeah but you know that's that's how it goes sometimes it's a fake judge show it's like yeah. it's a real judge show but he's a fake oh, i should have said that sorry yeah, yeah it's, it's a, like it's, a, yeah. it's like you know we have these syndicated television judge shows in mm-hmm. the united states judge yeah. judy and whatnot uh, the people's court well. and yeah. um it's like that but it's a comedy show so it's it's mm-hmm. the disputes are very much real but they're not 
I somebody stole my car, they're like no, uh, they're domestic. There's they're friend things and domestic things and the things, funniest things one, about feelings. One of the ones that stuck in my head. They're all really funny, but the one that stuck in my head was um where a guy brought his dad in because he wanted to him to stop making dad jokes when they were at a beautiful venue or something like that. They were at some mountain is hiking and his dad would make a joke and he's like, please, just please. Yeah. The just dad stop. joke one that I remember the most is a dad who no matter what restaurant they're at would try and order the Kung Pao chicken. And <laughs> I, what I, actually... I think Hodgman correctly identified that, you know, and he would... <laughs> He would also do it in other customers. Like, he would do it at toll booths on roads. He'd be like, yeah, yeah. can they, they'd be like, $4, please. And he'd be like, can I have the Kung, Fa, Kung Pao chicken? And I think Hodgman correctly identified, you know, one of the things about the show is that even though it's a comedy show, I think John is yep. a very wise guy. And he really tries to find the kind of emotional center of the, these disputes. Mm -hmm. And for that one, at the emotional center, ultimately, was the fact that while this was, I think we both admitted, a pretty funny dad joke, it also was something that was both racially charged and was an abuse of the power differential mm -hmm. between a customer and a customer service worker. Yeah. And that that worker would not have the power in that situation to mm -hmm. voice their discomfort or object to being made the subject of a joke. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, my, my favorite one of all time is, is w without question, this one that was called Der Fleeter House, <laughs> which was uh, AKA the Bat Brothers. And it was these two brothers who bought a house together in rural Kansas to save money. They bought this house for like $60,000. And um, which as an Angelino is just insane to me that you could just buy an entire house for $60,000. But uh, they, bought, they bought this house together. And the, the only problem with this house was that there was a hole in the bathroom and bats were getting in. And the dispute was between these two guys. It was very real. It was yeah. one of them wanted to spend, I think it was $3,000 to fix the hole. Oh. The other one said, we bought this house to save money. We can't spend $3,000 on some hole. Yeah. What we should do is we agree to keep the door to the bathroom closed at all times. <laughs> so it's like a bat airlock. And if any <laughs> bats get in, we always have a dictionary in the bathroom to hit the bats with. And it was so real. And I think, yeah. I, if I remember correctly, John's <clears throat> ultimate ruling involved kind of establishing a a, a, a hole-fixing fund that would yeah. be funded by instances of a bat getting into the house. <laughs> and, you know, he ultimately saw that, like, the relationship between these two brothers and the fact that they were trying to manage their finances together was all at the yeah. center of this, not bats. And yeah, yeah. that they had to find some way to have a shared relationship in this home. And mm -hmm. that this this bat jar where they had to put bat money anytime a bat got into the house was the, the way that they would find a common ground between the two of them. Um, I think it is. I think the, the fact bat, that... Michael, there was a bat hole in their house. 
in the bat's room, which in is the, the perfect place for us. Oh my gosh, they're taking a shower and a bat comes in there? My gracious. <laughs> Just peeping on you. $60,000 um, house in Kansas. <laughs> Um, I think the fact that it spun off though from Bullseye makes sense though because there is an emotional honesty to John's um, analysis of it sometimes you do get to like sometimes it is like a funny kind of answer but sometimes as you say like it is like um, a real thing and it's you're really talking to people you're not like going oh yeah this is goofy whatever silly you really talk to the person and I think it makes sense that it spun off from Bullseye in that way I think in the early days I pushed for the show to have more conflict. Um, And what we found over time, this is something, when I say we, I mean mostly John. What Mm -hmm. John found over time was that the special thing about the show was getting to know the people. Yeah. And the conflict was a medium to get to know the people. It It was an in that we had to find the emotional lives of just regular folks around the country and eventually around the world. Yeah. And John's sincere interest in meeting people and talking to like, John is an actual extrovert, which is kind of amazing to me, but you know, we do live shows and he'll sit and talk to people after the show, signing autographs and doing whatever for hours. And it's not mm-hmm. because he wants the ego gratification. I mean, he's not opposed to the ego gratification, but I don't think it's. I don't think it's for that. Like, I don't think it's no. because he is a narcissist. It's mm-hmm. because he sincerely enjoys talking to people and getting to know them, even if it's you know two or three minutes at a time. And he wants to give each person yeah. two or three minutes so that he can feel like he made a connection with them and, and learn something yeah. about them. And that's what the show is. It's John's very sincere interest in learning about people, learning about their emotional lives, and to some extent trying to trying to help them understand themselves. Thank you so much for being on the show today. You're yeah. awesome. You're brilliant. Such a nice man. <laughs> Thank, <laughs> Thank you, you so much. Thank you for the invitation. I'm very grateful. All right. There we go. That was my interview from 2021 with Jesse Thorne. Absolutely lovely being able to talk to him on the show Folks, you have been listening to The Michael Muto Show here on Western Mac 102 FM. Thank you so much for hanging out with me this morning. Thank you as well to Jane Willow for the use for song Rise Above It All. I'll be back again with you next week for more fun. And I hope you have a fantastic rest of your day, a fantastic rest of your week, a brilliant weekend, an excellent Monday until I speak to you again. This has been Michael Muto, your radio pal.